Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. The, on October 1st, the first edition of October of 2020. Joining me, as always, is Colby Powell. Colby, how are we doing on this Friday? Oh, we're doing pretty good. I mean, it's it's Kansas week, which is never the most exciting, but it's college football in 2020, so I'm going to do my very best today not to complain. Exactly. I mean, this time about, what, five, six months ago, we were, we were uh, desperate for sports. You know, ESPN was showing, like, uh, cornhole tournaments. Yeah. Uh, we were watching darts. We were watching, like, Belarusian soccer, so we can't really complain too much, right? Uh, yeah, this is definitely preferable to all of that. And don't get me wrong, I'll enjoy sitting down and watching Oklahoma State and Kansas, and we do have some questions about, you know, can Oklahoma State score against a bad team? Because um, they've struggled to score so far. Obviously, Spencer Sanders has only played one real drive on the season, but there are definitely some questions this week against Kansas that I think Oklahoma State could go out and answer. It is Kansas week. Yeah, there are some questions, obviously, with that offense, and we'll, we'll get into all that with the Kansas matchup. But I did, I did solicit a few Twitter questions, which I always tend to ask for on Kansas week because there's typically not much to break down. But we can get to that and the rest of the first five. But first, got to hear from Chris's University Spirit. We're so happy they're with us again this year for the podcast. And when I was in school, and I'm sure, Colby, when you were in school, that was the place to go to get all your gear, get your coach's polo, get your uh, – all your Stillwater stuff, even a jersey. Were you a big jersey guy? Did you wear jerseys? No, I'm not a big jersey guy. Um, but, yeah, we, I mean, we visited – I visited Chris's pretty religiously since I was like five years old. So, that was always my parents' spot. So, I grew up going to Chris's, and then whenever I went to school, it was just kind of second nature. It was just – Oh, that's right. Just you, got there. Your, you got your baseball glove from Chris's. Yeah, when I was like 10 years old, I used it forever. <laughs> I remember, I remember going at a very young age as well. And so if you want to get some gear, you know where to go. Go to Chris University Spirit. You can also shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. It's a road game this week. We got Kansas. Uh, we're going to get to the first five now, Colby. Number one, you know, OSU has been doing this documentary series called Our Time on ESPN Plus in the preseason, and they're doing it throughout the entire season. So we get kind of an intimate look at both practice we get up in the coaches' boxes during games, and we get appearances from the Pistols Firing podcast on the show for the second time, and your first time. We we made a your voice was on the show, my voice was on the show, breaking down Oklahoma State. It's it's very cool. We we're very appreciative of the uh, the creators and producers to uh, include us in on that, and uh, it's it's pretty cool, Colby. What'd you think uh, making your first appearance on ESPN Plus? Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I was watching yesterday and. I heard you doing the intro, and I was like, hey. And then I, I heard me breaking down the game, and I was like, oh, look at us go. So, um, yeah, that was pretty cool, and I, the episode was great. I thought w- what I enjoy most about those is, I mean, we see the game. We know what happens in the game. But they've got the footage of the communication between the coaches, and that stuff to me is, is fascinating. After the uh, West Virginia slant, Gundy's like, what happened there? And Knowles is like, dude, I had a guy underneath him and a guy behind him. And the, the rover let him go right through. And so stuff like that. Uh, Gundy yelling, kick, 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 kick. On fourth <laughs> down, you, you know I was going to get a kick out of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the other one I thought was really interesting was, I think it was, it was right after Shane Ellingworth's interception, Mike Gundy said, run the football and throw it sideways, please. <laughs> so that stuff to me was fascinating. That confirmed kind of the game plan we saw from there on, right? <laughs> throw it sideways and run the yes. football. You know, you're right. Like, we always see Gundy 
marching up and down the sidelines when they show him during the games. And, and he's always talking. Like he's, he's rarely just stoic uh, there on the sideline. He's usually communicating up in the booth, up in the box. And it, it is fascinating to hear the communication that goes on during the game. I mean, like money is going to be a problem, I think, for these networks moving forward with COVID and everything else. Give me a feed that I can pay, like pay a few extra bucks to get the coaches' feeds. Now, they probably won't do that because Lord knows the language they probably used when, you when mean they did big plays. Uncensored pay-per-view feed. I would pay for an uncensored pay-per-view feed of coaches' communications throughout a game. I, I would too. I think that was totally fascinating, and I also want to see Colby. You know, I'm sure Mike Gundy plops down at, at Gundy Ranch on the couch. He cues up his, you know, his 85-inch big screen. He probably has. He probably watches the show, and when they're showing, when they when they put up pistols firing podcast up on the screen, I I would love to get his reaction because he has banned pistols firing from covering his his team for the most part. I know Kyle Boone and Kyle Porter can still go to games because they're affiliated with CBS, but I do wonder like if he is even able to put two and two together on what a blog is versus a podcast. Why are they on this show? I thought I banned them. That, it is kind of humorous that for whatever reason, he's never really given a reason other than I don't believe in blogs, uh, why he's banned Pistols Firing when Pistols Firing is the most read OSU website covering OSU sports. They cover more than just football and basketball and like other sites, and uh, they do a really good job. So I, I think it's fascinating that they're banned, yet a preeminent feature on uh, on the show. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I Do you think Gundy watches it? Do you think he watches the show? Oh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, especially when they're falling around him and his dad on the farm. You know he had to go back and watch that. I mean, he's like, yeah. Man, my farm's finally getting some, some airtime. Me, me and my dad on the show together, that has to be pretty cool for him. So I, I think – do I think that he makes a point to seek it out? No, but, like, when he's – because we all know Gundy like loses weight during the season because he's just in the grind. He's at the office all the time, and, and he's he's working hard. I guarantee you there's times where he's tired of looking at Kansas game tape. He might cue it up, but I don't know. He, he may not. He's he's pretty a busy guy. Yeah, I could see him just having it on in the office, kind of in the background, and maybe if, if something that he didn't notice on game day pops up and he sees it, maybe it'll pique his interest or something. But, um, yeah, I mean, pistols firing covers – more Oklahoma State sports and more in-depth than really anybody. So, um, I, I don't know. That's why I've always liked pistols firing because in baseball season, I can go to pistols firing and find baseball stuff and wrestling stuff. And, you know, women's soccer team last year, Big 12 champs, all that stuff's on pistols firing. So, it seems to me like that would only be a good thing for the university. But uh, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Yeah, I mean, especially for a school that, you know – needs more coverage or certainly craves it with with Oklahoma down the street uh, they, they certainly feel slighted in a lot of ways in terms of coverage so I don't understand it I would certainly need a better explanation than I don't believe in blogs because if they're credentialing other websites which they are that doesn't make any sense but that's neither here nor there I guess but it's pretty cool watching the show and I'm, I'm certainly fascinated to watch it progress because we do get an inside look at at what's happening because he also said you know Juba puts the ball on the ground. He's like, why zero not in the game? We get a real look at Mike yeah. Gundy's thinking in-game, big moments, big spots. And it's only going to get bigger now that you get into the meat of Big 12 scheduling. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see Bedlam Week, too, Colby. We've never quite seen the mindset and the attitude towards Gundy in Bedlam Week. We only get to see the games and, you know, the, the, the quick shots they show him on the sideline. I'm fascinated to hear how that plays out, too. 
Yeah, I am too. I, I, like I said, the, the stuff between the coaches, I'm curious as to whether that's any different. And I think that we've had questions for years about how much autonomy the offensive coordinators have. And, you know, obviously it's not a complete answer last week. I think every situation is probably different. But we do know that if Gundy wants to hop on the headset and say throw the ball sideways and run it, uh, Gundy can do that. So I, I do think that we, we learned a little bit that maybe his offensive coordinators don't have complete autonomy over what they want to call that they can call whatever plays they want to in the scheme of what Gundy's wanting, wanting them to do at that moment. So I, I thought that that was very insightful. And, and every week now, that's what I'm going to be watching for is Gundy relaying to Casey Dunn a, a type, a, a style of play calling that he wants um, for, for a particular situation or for, or for a particular stretch of game. If like last week they're protecting the lead, the defense is great, the offense is struggling. That's kind of the stuff I'll be watching for the rest of the season. For sure. I think we're, we're finally getting a glimpse into that because before we would, we would sit there and wonder, okay, who's to blame for that call? Because when it went well, you know, you'd, you'd give your such credit. And when, it, and when there was like a, a conservative third down call in the red zone, everyone would just blame Gundy. And so now we're going to get actual answers as to how that plays out. And I think you're right. I think it's more of Gundy suggesting ideas more so than actual play calls but that's going to be fascinating to watch how he and Casey Dunn continue their relationship with him as offensive coordinator uh, number two on the first five we did get an up close look at Spencer Sanders his foot coming out of a cast with that ankle injury he expressed you know obviously frustration with the first play of the game or the first series of the game where he gets hurt uh, that's been a big storyline all week Colby Spencer Sanders status um it's clear they're, they're comfortable moving ahead with Shane Illingworth. You got to see some practice where Casey Dunn really praised the throws that Illingworth had made through two weeks. But uh, I think Sp Spencer could go Colby based on what I'm hearing. But if they were playing Texas or OU, I think he'd play. But the fact that it's Kansas, I think they're going with Illingworth. I think they'll go with Illingworth. You know, on, on Monday, I actually said that I thought it would be silly to, split, to play Spencer this week because you can get two more weeks of rest because you got to buy next week. But – the more I think about it, I'm like, man, he's got one series under his belt, and that's all. Do you really want him to run out against Baylor with only one series under his belt? I guess it depends on how healthy he is this week. If he's, you know, 60 to 70% this week, I, I say absolutely don't run him out. I think I've kind of changed my tune, and if he's 80, 90%, maybe you give him a half just to go out and get some in-game reps, just to get back to the speed, people flying at him, stuff like that. Even if, even if you don't ask him to do a lot, just quick throws and hand the ball off, just to get some game feel to him, I, I'm probably indifferent either way. I, th I think that there's certainly a benefit to not playing him and he gets two more weeks to rest. I think there's a benefit to playing him and getting him some game reps. So I really don't think that there's a wrong move to be made with Spencer Sanders. I think it totally depends on how healthy he is and letting him determine uh, what he's capable of doing. Yeah, I think I'm more partial to just sitting him out. I don't know how many game reps are going to help against a team like Kansas who just got yeah. drummed by Coastal Carolina. I think coaches, based on everything I've heard from them over the years, they put a lot of, they put a lot of emphasis on just reps during the week. So I'm fine with just giving him a lot of reps. But then I guess the, the counter to that is you need to get Ellingworth all the first-team reps if he's going to be the starter. So – I'd probably sit him, like you mentioned, the bye week. I think that's plenty of time to get him ready for a game. He's played enough college football at this point. I don't think forcing the issue against Kansas is really going to help matters. I think it can only hurt, especially because you can tell Spencer, okay, don't, 
don't run out of the pocket, don't take any chances, but he's an instinctual football player. That's what he's done his whole career is he, he runs around, he makes plays. I think it's going to be hard to turn that off. So I, I would probably sit him. And again, you have the luxury of playing Kansas. I don't think it much matters. So I don't expect to see him personally. Yeah, I, I probably don't expect to see him either. I'm sure they're thinking along the same lines. And he will get all the reps going into Baylor week, I'm sure, because uh, he should be he should be good to go by then, I would think. I, I don't think that this is something based off what we saw last week with him warming up and what we saw on our time. I don't think this is something that's going to linger for another two weeks to where he wouldn't be able to go against Baylor. So you're, you're probably right. Send him out tomorrow. Let Illingworth get some more reps. See what you got to get with Illingworth. Maybe you can get up and experiment with him. Let him throw the ball down the field uh, a little bit more and figure out what you really got with Shane Illingworth. Because last week, uh, I thought early they freed him up a little bit. I thought late in that game, they really put some handcuffs on him. So I think it would be good to see a little bit more from Illingworth. Let's break down the game a little bit, Colby, before we move on. I mean, I love that, that they did that. They start out throwing the football. I think it would have been really – so easy to predict they were just going to hand the football off the first two series. I love that they opened up passing to give Illingworth a little bit of confidence and show West Virginia, look, we're, we're confident this kid can throw the football. We're not just going to shut it down already. So hopefully they do that too against Kansas. Uh, how do you see this game playing out? I, I tend to think, I tend to think they'll have more success running the football early because it's Kansas, but that offensive line is banged up. But I, I do want to see Colby. I want to see them get Tylen Wallace involved early in the passing game. And I, I want to see them get, someone else established as the number two receiver? Because that, that, to me, is a big question mark this season. Yeah, it's been a question mark, and we keep waiting. Uh, you know, preseason, I thought it was going to be Braden Johnson. I don't, I don't know if maybe uh, because they've kind of had the handcuffs on the first couple of weeks without Spencer, they just haven't been able to fully utilize their offensive game plan. But, I mean, there's too many talented receivers at Oklahoma State for Tylen Wallace to do his thing and then nobody else to have more than 20 yards receiving. They're, they're, I mean, Braden Johnson, Dylan Stoner, we heard all offseason about D. Anderson, and then Tay Martin came in late. Jelani Woods, I feel like, should be a much more utilized point of the offense than he is. I, I feel like defenses forget about him, and he's so big, he's so talented. Um, so I, I'm really curious to see who steps up there. But also at running back, Carson, I, I mean – I didn't really think we were going to have that much of a uh, controversy on the depth chart at running back, but LD looks really good through two weeks, and Chuba does not look the same as what he looked a year ago. Now, off of two games, you don't tell yourself, okay, LD's the guy, but I do think that, you know, last week was 22 and 11 on carries, I think, 22 for Chuba, 11 for LD. Uh, I do think throughout the season, assuming about 30 to 35 carries between the two of them, I think we could start to see ourselves in an 18 carries for Chuba, 14 carries for LD situation. And honestly, right now, I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't either. And especially with the way, obviously, LD's played, I think he deserves more carries. And last season, LD Brown was kind of a liability to where you wanted to tail off the carries for Chuba to keep him fresh throughout the season. But you just couldn't afford to do that to move the football. Well, now I think you obviously can. So I think that's – it's a two-plus benefit. Obviously, the way LD's played, he's ran hard, he's ran through tackles, he's been more aggressive, more decisive. So obviously he's, he's earned more carries. But Chuba did wear, did wear down a little bit toward the end of last season, I thought. So this is a great opportunity to keep him fresh. I wouldn't mind seeing a lot more Desmond Jackson if this game gets out of hand and just resting Chuba. Because as we mentioned before, like winning the Heisman's – a pipe dream for a running back. It's going to go to a quarterback. We all know that. So not happening. don't press the Wait, issue the, with Chuba. Yeah. 
winning the Heisman at a school not named OU Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson at running back is a real pipe dream because helmet logo matters. Human beings vote on those things, not computers. Um, and it's not OSU fans who are voting on them. Uh, Oklahoma State has one Heisman winner who gets to cast a vote every year. Um, yeah, I, I think this week I would like to see probably – I don't know if there's 40 carries to be had on the ground this week, maybe 12 for Chuba, 18 for LD, and 10 for Desmond Jackson this week. Yeah, I like that split. Yeah, I mean, I think that gets everybody a few touches. And one thing when I was watching our time, it popped up when they were following LD through the facility and stuff, senior running back. I was like, man, I didn't realize LD was a senior. And then it clicked to me that this year of eligibility doesn't count against anybody. So he'll be able to come back if he so chooses. Uh, And if Chuba's gone, then LD would be the clear number one and could really maybe have a phenomenal season and vault himself up some draft boards. So I think the future's bright for LD. Yeah, I mean, shoot, if LD keeps playing the way he has this year, I think he can turn some NFL heads this year and maybe not not come back. But that, that is yeah. a good point. Yeah. I I completely forget that all these guys can come back with no eligibility spent. So, you know, Dylan Stoner is going to be 29 years old probably his, his senior year because yeah. he's been there for so long. And, look, it's Kansas. I expect the defense to play lights out. It's Kansas. But, you know, Letty, Letty Brown had 100 yards carrying against OSU. He's a decent running back. But Puka Williams is – one of the best running backs in Big 12. He had two touchdowns and 76 yards against Baylor. I certainly don't think he'll have the same level of success against OSU, but that's, that's an area, you know, OSU's been beaten mostly through the pass against Tulsa and against West Virginia, but I think their run defense will get tested here by Puka Williams. He's a good player. Yeah, I think it will too. And last week I thought Oklahoma State's defense was phenomenal. They did allow a 100-yard rusher, but uh, West Virginia was on the field quite a bit. I think that Oklahoma State's defense is going to dominate this game. Kansas has already rifled through three quarterbacks this year, and they still haven't decided on any of them. And, I mean, honestly, they don't want to pick a bad quarterback, and that's why they keep going through them because they can't find a good one. So, I I don't know. I feel like Oklahoma State is really going to load up to stop Puka Williams. And if whatever – whichever one of the three quarterbacks Kansas throws out there, if that guy can throw in between Rodarius Williams and Colby Harvell-Peel and Trey Sterling, so be it. But I I just – don't see that happening. So Puka might get to 100 yards just based on sheer volume because Kansas might just give him the ball a ton. But I don't think that it will be uh, to the point that it actually impacts the outcome of the game. What is the outcome of the game? How are you picking it? Uh, the outcome of the game is very lopsided. I, I thought about um, picking a shutout, but shutouts don't happen. You, you get up, you pull guys, and then they go down and score. So I'm going to call it at 33-10. to 10. For uh, in favor of Oklahoma State. And for those of you doing the math at home, yes, that's three touchdowns for Oklahoma State and four field goals. So, you know, 33 <laughs> to 10, Oklahoma State barely covers. You're already talking yourself into Gundy kicking 26-yard field goals on fourth and one, aren't you? In Lawrence, Kansas, absolutely. <laughs> well, I picking the game, like, I don't hate your, your score total for OSU. I mean, look, I know it's Kansas, but do you have confidence that they're going to score – 48 points in this game I I certainly don't so I I'm I'm similar to you I'll probably give them a little bit more and say 38 to 13 that's that's kind of how I feel this game's going to play I think once they get up two three scores I think they'll try to run the football and and just kind of manage the game with with Illingworth at quarterback and and just get out of there with a win I mean at this point with a true freshman at quarterback you're not trying to you know light up the scoreboard and everything else but uh, that's kind of how I view the game yeah, so we're pretty close. We're not too far off. And that's yeah. most most of the picks that I've seen have been pretty close. I, I looked on pistols firing this morning and 
uh, 38-17. So everybody's kind of in the, the same mold. Uh, but interestingly, nobody on the site, neither one of us picked Oklahoma State to get to 40. So I'll be really curious if, if Oklahoma State can get out. I think what could make this game a little more high scoring is if Oklahoma State's defense scores or scores more than once, because I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, their defense might end up with more points than Kansas this year, <laughs> if you think about it. Oh, yeah, it is the right. first. It is the first road game, so that's a new variable for with certainly in COVID times, the way they're going to be traveling and and staying the night is going to be certainly different. But what's hurt them, I think, against Kansas in years past, Colby, right before we move on to number three, is Kansas has no game day environment. It's like going to like a high school stadium. You're usually playing at 11 a.m. This game's at 2:30. It really kind of takes – and it's not just an OSU thing. You've seen some really good teams go up to Kansas and struggles. It's a tough game to get up for. But now that it's COVID times and every stadium's about as full as Kansas, I don't think that'll be as much of an issue as it was in the past. But you just – I mean, Vince Young had to convert like a fourth and 15 the year they won the national championship to, to beat Kansas. So, like, it's just kind of a weird game that you know you're supposed to win. It's usually a sleepy environment. So, it's always kind of tricky going up there, even though they're always one of the worst – teams in, in power five yeah i'm really curious they say that they're allowing ten thousand fans is there any chance that they actually get ten thousand people to show up if they offer a free ticket to a basketball game maybe <laughs> they offer like you know preferential treatment to basketball tickets that place will be full but just to watch a football game i say no yeah that's terrible terrible well, the Jayhawks are still captained by the, the Mad Hatter, Les Miles, who we all know from his days at Oklahoma State. I thought Kyle Boone wrote a, wrote a great article on, on pistols firing, going to the best five moments of the Les Miles era at OSU. And look, say whatever you want about Les, and there's a lot to say just with his persona, with his career that he's had both at, at OSU and LSU. But he really, Colby – gave OSU fans a belief that, that they could win in football and certainly that they could win against Oklahoma, which he won his, you know, his first two games against Oklahoma. But uh, what do you think of the top five moments? We can kind of go down the list too, but just your thoughts on Les Miles and, and what he accomplished at OSU. Yeah, you know, I kind of grew up on Les Miles. I was uh, – uh, how old would I have been? What, what year did they take down OU 16 to 13? Was that 01? 01, right after OU had won the national championship. Yeah, 01. So I was nine years old when they beat Oklahoma State 16 to 13, or when they beat Oklahoma, pardon me, 16 to 13. And that still to this day is one of my most fond childhood memories. I, I remember Rashawn Woods catching that pass uh, in the corner of the end zone. And that, that to me was a big sports moment in my childhood. And I remember whenever I, you know, got older and started working in, uh, sports media and stuff and I worked with Donovan his brother for a couple of years where Sean would come over and meeting those guys and that, that was really cool for me after growing up watching them take down OU and I mean that was that was Les Miles he, he had a, a career 500 winning percentage against OU small sample size but he was two and two against OU and I mean nobody really does that o, OU's won what 86 percent of those games or something uh over the course or 80 whatever the number is over the course of the last hundred years so um just his ability to get his team fired up. He was the ultimate motivator, uh, and I think that's what drew people to Les Miles. Yeah, he made Oklahoma State not fear OU. I think that's why fans still hold him in, in high regard because he, he didn't coach scared. He, he went for the jugular. He thought they deserved to beat Oklahoma. He didn't think they, you know, maybe had a chance to. And number one is that game you mentioned. They won 16-13. 
everyone remembers the, the Rashawn Woods catch, and rightfully so. He got both feet in, NFL style. But you remember the, uh, the B.J. Tiger catch over the middle right before that to set that up was unbelievable. And one player who deserves mention for that game is Luke Phillips, who yes. hit 50-yard field goals in that game that they don't win the game if he doesn't nail just some unbelievably difficult kicks. So shout-out to Luke Phillips as well. And what's crazy, Colby, the year before, OU wins the national title, but that game in Stillwater – was a similar play. They threw a, a fade up to, I believe it was Alonzo Mays or Marcellus Rivers. Those two players kind of morph into one for me in my, my brain. But they threw the fade route to him, and Derek Strait knocked it down. OU goes on to win the national title. The very next year, on Derek Strait, Rashawn Woods catches the touchdown to win 16-13. So that's number one on, Boone, on Boone's list. Just an unbelievable football game and a game you did not expect Oklahoma State to even be in, let alone win, because OU was just unbelievable back in the early 2000s. Uh, number two, who could forget this? Oh, <laughs> uh, letter rip is number two on on Boone's list. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember letter rip. Uh, I remember the game that ensued after he said letter rip. Ooh, I yeah. I remember all of it. It was the pregame speech was definitely the best part of the day for Oklahoma State fans. The letter rip was fantastic, and they went on to lose fifty two to nine. And look, Les had talked so much trash since he had beat Oklahoma. He talked so much trash. Uh, leading up to that game, I believe he said uh, one of these teams is the best in the country and we're going to find out on Saturday. <laughs> and I think Teddy Lehman, Mike Stoops, Bob Stoops, Jason White, that was obviously an unbelievable team. They they were tired of hearing the trash talk and they came out to prove a point and they obviously did winning 52 to nine. But the letter rip still lives on in infamy. Uh, number three, 38-28. Again, it's as Boone puts it, it feels a little pathetic to list all OU-related memories, but Les Mild was a wizard against the Sooners, and he was. Uh, this is the game in Stillwater. They won 38-28. Really, the score was not indicative of how dominant they were. That's the Rashawn Woods is still open game. And this really, to, to beat Oklahoma once at OSU was just unheard of. To beat them back-to-back -back years, and this is OU at their absolute pinnacle, their absolute peak under Bob Stoops. And it went on to be an eight and five year for Les Miles. But they really just, I mean, OU was ranked number three at the time. They were 10 and one entering that game, still trying to make it in the national championship game. And, and Les Miles and his team just, just put a whooping on them in Stillwater. Yeah, that was, like you said, the score was not indicative of, uh, of how dominant Oklahoma State was that day. I was, I was at that game. I still remember that game. Uh, again, another very fond memory of my childhood. And you're right, Rashawn Woods is still open and and the thing is not only is this whenever OU was at their absolute peak I mean you think of how good OU was from like 2000 to 2009 uh really maybe one or two down years in there but really 2000 through 04 they were unreal and Oklahoma State beat them twice in that span uh whenever OU still had legitimate Big 12 and national title hopes and that was that was a lot of fun and I, I don't know if if we were to do a list of uh, Pat Jones' best moments, if we were to do a list of Mike Gundy's best moments, I don't think it would be so OU-central. 
But Les Miles was there for such a short span of time, and they were so good against OU while he was there. It's it's hard not to have those at the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, his record was 8-5. and So, of course, the highlight's going to be when you beat OU. And to your point, OU was Alabama back then. They really were. I mean, the amount of NFL talent they had on defense and offense, uh, they were Alabama. And that's that's the type of talent Les Miles was beating and convincing his team they could beat. So it's pretty impressive. Number four was the Houston Bowl. I don't have a whole lot of memories about this. They played – who did they play in that game? Is it Southern Miss? I don't even remember. Uh, 2002 Houston Bowl, Southern Miss. Yep, it was. Yeah, and that, I think that was more of a – that was actually – that was the – ended the bowl drought in his second season in 02. They went to the Houston Bowl. And I – I don't know about you, Colby, like growing up, just seeing a number next to OSU's name was like a big deal. It's like, whoa, they have like a 21 next to their name. Like that was like, that was unheard of for me. I'm a little older than you, but it was a big deal. And he obviously, it was their first bowl win since 1988. Think about that. Think about the success Mike Gundy's had going to bowl games, winning bowl games. That was, they hadn't been to a bowl game since, it was their first bowl win since 1988, just their second appearance since 1988 that's that's the level Les took them from where they were to where he took them took them to there in 2002 yeah and that's why so many items on this list are just you know like generic success type things things we're used to now but Oklahoma State didn't have that type of success from basically Barry Sanders to Les Miles it just it didn't exist in the 1990s everybody remembers 010 and 1 uh, yeah, it was against Southern Miss that year. Oklahoma State trailed by three entering the fourth quarter uh, and then outscored Southern Miss 13-0 in the fourth quarter. A couple Luke Phillips field goals and a Tatum Bell touchdown run. There's, there's a good good pull from 2002. Tatum Bell was, was balling at that time. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty nice for Oklahoma State. Uh, I remember as a kid when Oklahoma State would get bowl eligible, it was a little mini celebration for Oklahoma State fans when, when that sixth win finally hit the, uh, hit the ticker. <laughs> I remember the players like bowling their helmets celebrating. That was one of my first memories <laughs> as well. Uh, you mentioned Rashawn before we get to five. Like you talked to some, some older OSU fans. They still stand for Rashawn Woods as the, the GOAT wide receiver. And I think he has a legitimate argument. Obviously, I think Blackman – Justin Blackman has an argument as the best college wide receiver of all time. I posted his stats a few weeks ago. It's basically him, Larry Fitzgerald, and Michael Crabtree. And Blackman has better numbers than those guys. But Rashawn, playing in the era he played in, in that offense with Les Miles, we all know he loved to run the football. His stats hold up, man. And and Rashawn, he kind of gets lost now in in OSU lore. They've had so many wide receivers. And he certainly gets lost nationally among the best college wide receivers of all time. But, man, he was unbelievable, Colby. Yeah, he was unreal. I mean, that was my first big fandom as a uh, as a kid growing up was watching Rashawn Woods. That was the first guy that I was a huge fan of growing up. And, man, he was so much fun to watch. And um, I, I don't know. I, I still – I would go for Justin Blackman as well. I, I think he was one of the best college receivers, if not the best college receiver to ever play. I, I wish – I so wish we could have seen more from him in the NFL – you know, as a rookie, he had that game. He had a 236-yard receiving game with Jacksonville as a rookie, 236 and a touchdown. Um, and, and it's just he has so much talent, and obviously for reasons we don't totally need to get into, it just didn't work out for him at the next level. But um, 
I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to go wrong arguing best receiver to ever play at Oklahoma State because there are four or five guys that could be in the conversation. And depending on what era you grew up in, what era you uh, liked watching Oklahoma State football the best, you can make an argument for four or five different guys. But I also would probably go Blackman uh, because he was so dominant and he was part of the best team to ever play at Oklahoma State. Absolutely. Number five, Les Miles wins Big 12 Coach of the Year. Not a memory you really remember, but he did beat out an 11-1 Bill Snyder, Kansas State coach team, which I think – which Coach of the Year awards, Colby, like you know, they always picked the guy who had less expectations. They never picked the guy who went like undefeated with a really good team, but Les Miles probably deserved it. And it really it springboarded him into the LSU job because – it kind of came out of nowhere, Colby. Like, we didn't think of Les Miles with the job he was doing at OSU as, oh, he's a national coaching candidate. Like, that never happens at OSU. <laughs> but uh, he springboarded that, that Big 12 Coach of the Year title or uh, award into the, uh, the LSU job. Yeah, they always do that. It's always low expectations, high performance is what gets you Coach of the Year awards. Just like a couple of years ago, Mark McIntyre up at uh, Colorado won the Coach of the Year award. And I think after the next season, Colorado fired him because they were terrible. He won the Coach of the Year award, actually, the year Oklahoma State ended up playing Colorado in the Alamo Bowl and waxing Colorado in the Alamo Bowl. Um, but, yeah, if you have low expectations and you exceed them by a lot, that gets you at the top of the list for Coach of the Year awards. Whoops, dropped my cell phone there. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, we won't. One thing we won't mention on the top five is the way Les left at the uh, bowl game against no. Ohio State. We'll we'll breeze right on past that to number four. Uh, we'll pretend it didn't even happen. Yeah, but uh, I do think despite all that, Les Miles is held in, in high regard in OSU lore, and I think he deserves to because he, he really got things going. He got people excited about OSU football. He got people to donate to OSU football, and obviously that, that hadn't happened in, in a long time. Uh, number four is something you passed along to me, and we touched on him briefly for, for, his, for his game he had. But Rodarius Williams was the PFF National Player of the Week at defensive back at OSU. Uh, you saw this. You passed it along to me. Do you have his numbers handy, too, from that, that award? But big-time recognition for Rodarius. Yeah, I don't have his numbers handy. I wish I did. But, I mean, Pro Football Focus, basically, they use analytics. It's not the eye test. They use algorithms, analytics, all this stuff to determine – which guy at which position is the best, had the best week, all that stuff. And so each week they give out a pro football focus national player of the week, one guy in the entire country on offense. That was a tight end from Florida. And then one guy in the entire country on defense. And that was Rodarius Williams, who I remember last week, I was sitting there watching the game with my wife. And every time Rodarius popped up on the screen, I said, God, he has no more than about two inches from the guy he's covering all day. Uh, he was phenomenal. And they actually give out a national secondary of the week every week, too. And Rodarius Williams and Trey Sterling both made the national secondary of the week where they just take the two top corners, the two top safeties, uh, and then the top kind of floater, rover, whatever. Uh, and Rodarius and Trey Sterling both made the national secondary of the week. So, uh yeah, good luck throwing the ball against Oklahoma State. The pass rush with Bundage and Trace Ford and then those guys on the back end, it is a serious problem for other teams what Oklahoma State's doing defensively this year. Yeah, I just think these stats and these these recognitions back up what we've seen. I mean, OSU's defense has played very well. Obviously, they'll, they'll face toucher, tougher competition, but I do have his numbers, Colby. He had seven targets thrown, thrown his way. He allowed one catch for zero yards, and he had five pass breakups and seven targets. That is as good as you can play the position. 
So he's he's been unbelievable at corner. And I think, Colby, there's this tendency when a guy is a, a, an underclassman playing early in his career like Rodarius and certainly A.J. Green were, they might get beat a few times when they're young and you just you think, ah, well, that guy, we need to find somebody else. He got, he got beat for a touchdown. Well, now that he's played so much football from a very young age all the way to now, he's developed into an all-Big 12 corner. And just there's this tendency with young players to just write him off early. I think Rodarius is a classic example of there's a reason he was playing, one, because they, they didn't have a better choice. And that tells you how talented he was as an underclassman. But two, it just shows you that we tend to expect the best out of guys when they're early in their careers and don't give them time to develop. And Rodarius has developed into one of the better corners OSU's had. A.J. Green, I think, was right there with them. A.J. Green might have been a little bit better throughout his career to this point. But Rodarius is shaping up to have a big, big season at OSU. Yeah, I think that he could really vault himself up draft boards. And, you know, stuff like this, pro football focus, national player of the week on the defensive side of the football. And, you know, you brought up the scoring defense earlier in the week, the yards per play that Oklahoma State's allowing right now. And they'll still see the best offenses that they'll face are still down the line. They've still got to see Texas Tech, Texas, and Oklahoma, all three of which can score some serious points. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what they can do later in the season. I'm sure they won't be holding those teams to 13 points. But still, as, as long as they can stay healthy, it's, it's become very apparent to me that Oklahoma State has the best defense in the conference, and I don't think it's particularly close. I would agree at this point. I just I hate to make you know, a sweeping statement like that when they haven't played That's you know, fair. The, the best teams. I, I, as you know, following OSU as long as I have, I, I'm always skittish to, to make sweeping wholesale statements about about the defense but to this point they've been awesome they've been as advertised and and at this point I think I have to agree with you they look like the, the best defense in the big 12 so we'll have yeah to. this year feels different to where I don't feel like I'm jumping the gun saying that because I don't feel like there are a lot of unknowns on that side of the ball I feel like we know and I was talking to uh Dion Amade who played back on those 2011 12 13 defenses we were texting back and forth yesterday and I'm like you know there's no weak unit on Oklahoma State's defense. There's almost always a weak unit, either, either the defensive line, the linebackers, the secondary. There's almost always a unit that you have to help because they're just not as talented there. Oklahoma State's pass rush is elite with Bundage and Trace Ford, Amen coming off the edge on blitzes. The linebacking core is elite. The secondary, Rodarius Williams, Trey Sterling, Colby Harvell-Peel. I just feel like there are no unknowns and there are no weak units on that side of the football. So while I don't think that they'll be able to hold the best offenses in the conference to 13 points, I, I do think that we'll still be sitting here at the end of the year saying, wow, Oklahoma State's defense was heads and tails better than the rest of the conference. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. Number five, we got a few Twitter questions. You want to get to those, Colby? Absolutely. Okay. Love the Twitter questions. We didn't, we didn't get a ton, but we'll, we'll start asking for more on Fridays. Um, I think that's a good, good spot for some Twitter questions. We did get a few. Uh, Matt Mortimer asks, based on what little you've seen from Illingworth, when he takes over the reins in a few years, what do you think his ceiling is in terms of overall talent? Zach, Chelf, Rudolph, how do you kind of see Illingworth progressing at quarterback? Boy, that's a, that is a hard question to answer after watching the guy play five quarters. <laughs> yeah. I, what is his ceiling? I mean, his ceiling could be a, a, a Rudolph type. If we're, I mean, ceiling is the absolute highest what he could accomplish, right? So mm -hmm. it, it could be one of the three to five best quarterbacks to ever play at Oklahoma State. But 
I also think just because we've seen so little of him, his floor could be uh, Dax Garman, maybe. I, I don't know. I just feel like that we don't know enough yet. So I think that's a good question. And I think uh, once we've seen him start in maybe eight to ten games, I think we'd have a better idea of what he is as a player. Because at that point, you have to get to where the coaching staff trusts you in a close game to make throws. And clearly right now they don't, or the head coach wouldn't have gotten on the headset last week and said, run it and throw it sideways. So yeah, I think there's a lot still to learn about Dillingworth. I, I do too. Certainly in terms of style, just the, the style of quarterback he is, he's built like a Mason Rudolph, right? He's 6'4", yeah. 6'5", he's six, six, can you would presumably be able to throw the deep ball. He seems to have a live arm. We still don't know what his strengths are yet, to your point. We haven't watched him play enough. Can he throw the deep ball like Mason Rudolph? I, I still don't think Mason gets near enough credit nationally or even locally for how good he was throwing the deep ball in college. I mean, him and James helped, helped that James Washington had about 10 yards of space going deep every time. But Rudolph was an unbelievable college quarterback. And I think some of the big losses in his career really kind of hindered his, his reputation in terms of looking back on his career. But I think Rudolph is the absolute apex ceiling for Illingworth. And again, Rudolph didn't have an offensive line to speak of throughout most of his career. Certainly didn't have a defense. He knew he had to score a ton to win games. So that to me is the ceiling. I think you're right. I think a, a Garmin type, a, uh, a Wes Lunt could probably be the floor for, for Shane Illingworth. Lunt wasn't here enough really to, to get a full grasp on his career, but he didn't do much at Illinois either. But I, more than anything, Colby, I want to see what he does well. Can he throw the deep ball? Can he throw the crossing routes well enough? They haven't asked him to do a whole lot. So it's, it's way too early. We probably won't find this out until a few years from now. But he was a top 200 recruit, unlike a Dax Garman. I mean, Dax Garman bounced around. It was not a high-level recruit like Shane Ellingworth. I do think his, his ceiling is much higher than that. But we're just going to have yeah. to see him play more football. Yeah, I agree with what you said about him being comparable to Rudolph. I, I do think that um, because the expectations are so high for Oklahoma State this season and because it, it really could turn into a special season, I, I just don't think the coaches are willing to let him turn it loose and be the reason they lose a game. I think we saw that last week. Go in, manage the game, don't make big mistakes, let's get out of here with a win and get Spencer back on the field because we've got Big 12 and beyond aspirations this year. If, if this team was full of young guys and was going to go 6-6, six and six, uh, or I guess 5-5 five and five this year, maybe they'd just let him sling it. But you can't afford in a year that you're trying to win a Big 12 championship to lose a game in September or October because your backup's in for a week and you let him make a bunch of mistakes and learn. Um, I think that he'll do a lot more learning in the future uh, whenever expectations aren't so high and he's not just a, a gap until the starter comes back. For sure. It's, he's two games into his college career. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, this is a uniform question from James Ingle. He's a huge fan of long sleeve baggy shirts under jerseys. Cornerbacks who do this are always my uni Heisman. What's your opinion of them? I mean, everyone has their uniform preferences. What's your take on the, the baggy shirt under, under the jersey? I'm not, look, I'm not like saying it's terrible or it looks bad. I, I just don't love it. Um, to me, you know, you put that jersey on and, you know, you got these, these fitted jerseys and pants and everything. And, I mean, guys just look like transformers out there. You put that little baggy T-shirt on under your under your jersey, and now you kind of just look like a guy. 
I don't know. The first guy that always pops into my head whenever I think of that is Trey Norwood a couple years down at Oklahoma. And maybe mm-hmm. because he was such a smaller guy, I, maybe I didn't think it looked good. Uh, I feel like Antonio Cromartie was a guy who did that for a long time in the NFL. I, I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. I, I don't have a real strong opinion on the, the long sleeve baggy shirts. You better be good if you're rocking that. Like, Agreed. If you're not, you kind of look like the guy that just kind of got thrown into the game and wasn't really ready to wear his uniform properly. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel burnt. about it. Don't get burned on the edge wearing a long sleeve baggy t-shirt under your jersey. No, that's that's not a guy. I'm always a fan of the the Justin Gilbert look. I think Whedon did this too, kind of the the three quarter sleeves that are like tight, not not baggy. That's kind of the yeah. look I go for in my unis. Uh, one more question. We kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, Ryan Steelman wanted our take on Gundy telling. Uh, Casey done what to do after the Illingworth pick. He enjoys the the coach interactions, which I agree, Colby. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'm, it's gonna be fascinating to watch. Probably a, a bigger spot in the game, like maybe a, a game later in the season where there's a crucial crucial decision to be made. I'm looking forward to seeing those interactions, but it is cool to see uh, Casey Dunn getting some airtime and, and just the interactions with him and Gundy. Yeah, I thought Dunn really kind of shined on the episode, the interview early on in the episode about putting, putting Illingworth in in week one against Tulsa. Uh, and then the stuff later, I thought, uh, I also thought it was really interesting seeing the coaches in their coordinator boxes and all the guys around them, the young guys, the grad assistants, all the stuff <laughs> like that. When something good happens, those guys all freak out and jump up and start high-fiving and fist pumping. And the coordinators who've been around a day or two and know it's a long game and it's a long season, very calm, cool, collected, just kind of very stoic in the box especially Jim Knowles. And actually, we didn't mention this earlier, but to me, one of the funniest episode, one of the funniest parts of that episode was when uh, Tyron Irby was running the scoop and score back and he almost got caught because he started hot-dogging at about the five-yard line. And Knowles <laughs> is like, don't quit, don't quit. And uh, I-, I thought that was great. So, yeah, seeing the coaches in their natural element is pretty sweet. Yeah, really, that's really cool. Uh, J.E. Pokes, it's not really a question, more of a statement. He says he was watching episode eight. He says, the quote of the series so far is, Gundy, it's going to be 145 degrees on the field. We're not going to dome that son of a bitch before the game, so deal with it. <laughs> That's pretty great. That's a pretty great quote from my guy. They're not going to put a yeah. dome on Boone Pickens. But, you know, I, I understand it was 145 degrees or whatever on the field, but, like, Imagine if the temperature outside was like 100, like it normally kind of is those first couple weeks of the season. I mean, I know it was hot, but, man, it could have been a lot worse than that. Yeah, it could have been worse. My, my parents were at the game. They said it well, didn't feel too bad in the stands. Of course, it's a lot harder, hotter on that turf than it is in the stands. So, um, yeah. And that's another thing on our time. They showed the guys on the sideline, and Gundy is like, get everybody who's in the game out of the sun right now. Like, yeah, <laughs> probably smart. He's managing the shade like his like his cattle. You know, his cattle knows to go yep. stay in the shade. He had to he had to usher his players into the into the shade. So we appreciate everyone asking uh, Twitter questions. We'll get we'll get more next week, uh, and we'll call for them on Twitter. But uh, that was a few of our our Twitter questions. Let's hear from uh, Chris's University Spirit one more time before we get to the uniform preview. First road game of the year for Oklahoma State. So go to chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop for all your needs. You can get the, the Curse of Cowboys mask. You can wear it to the games and look cooler than the next person in their, their surgical mask. You can get the Curse of Cowboys. Show off the, the, the mask and, and stay safe if you're going to the games and going around campus. Uh, uniform preview time, Colby. I went three for three when we actually had to make a prediction. I don't know if I'm going to do that again this week, but what is your prediction for the game at Kansas? 
I'm going tricolor this week, Carson. I know that we don't see a ton of tricolor, but I think we're getting it this week. So I'm going to go black helmet with just the OSU logo on the side. Black helmet, the white uh, kind of sheriff's badge, uniforms, and then the, uh, the orange pants. So black, white, orange for Oklahoma State. A little tricolor in Lawrence. What sheriff badge are you speaking of? Uh, just the one that sits like on the collar, on the white jerseys. Like on the collar up around the neck, they kind of have the little sheriff's badge going oh. around. The, the white jerseys that have the black trim, and then they have the little sheriff's badge in the trim. Do they have more than one white jersey that I'm not aware of? Uh, I, don't, I know that they definitely have the, the little trim with the sheriff's. Like it's not prominent, it's just kind of in the trim. Okay. I was making sure they didn't have a jersey I wasn't aware of. So, yeah, you get, you get a free square this week, Cole, because they have to wear white on the road. They don't get to wear their grays for some yeah, reason. Yeah, I know. I just pulled it up. Yeah, that. here's a picture of Calvin Bundage. So, it's like the black collar, and it comes down to a V, and then, like, right above the number on the uh, front, yeah. there's a little sheriff's badge right on the it's front. It's been so long since I've seen the, the, the uh, current uniforms with the throwbacks. I kind of forgot what they look like. So. Right. I'm going tricolor as well. For some reason, they, they really like to wear the gray pants up in Kansas it's kind of there's very they get a little superstitious with this you know Justin Southwell pointed out that they've worn the Patriot Pete now against Tulsa four straight years his recall for uniforms is unbelievable how he remembers that I, I don't know but so I think they, they like wearing some of the gray accents up at Kansas so I'll go with the orange chrome big Pete helmet white jersey and the gray pants they tend to get a little funky up at Kansas with the with the gray so that's that's what I'm going with. Not my favorite combo, but kind of one I think they might wear. They, they do like the orange chrome helmet. Do you like the orange chrome helmet with the, with the big Pete on it? I, I go back and forth because before they debuted it, I kind of wanted them to do like the Boise State with the big Bronco taking up the whole half of the helmet. And that's exactly what they did with the Pete. And I like the, I like the chrome. I just – the orange – the orange doesn't really show up too great on the chrome in my opinion. It, it doesn't – it doesn't look necessarily OSU orange. It kind of looks, I don't know, it just looks, looks a little off to me. But I, I like the chrome, but it's, it's not my favorite. My favorite's the one you mentioned, the, just the matte black helmet with the brand on it, I think is, is always tough to beat. Yeah, I like the matte black a lot. The, the orange chrome peat with the big peat on the side of it is probably my least favorite helmet that they wear. I think, uh, I think that helmet's a classic example of doing too much. Too much with the chrome and the orange. Too much with the big giant Pete head on the side. That one's probably my least favorite of their helmets. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. It's, it's not my favorite either. But we'll see if one of us can go three for three. So it's OSU Kansas Saturday at 2.30. You would think they would get a, a nice win. I'm curious to see what it looks like at quarterback in, in the running game. Hopefully Chuba can have a big game and, and get back on track. But uh, Colby, that'll do it for this week. Enjoy the weekend, enjoy the game, and, and we'll get back with you next week. Absolutely. Pistols firing.